the bridal magazine sat there on the corner of the nightstand. Worn out, creased edges, little pieces of paper stuck to the pages, bookmarking all the ideas she had loved. She'd become inseparable from it over the last few months. Like many brides, she had looked forward to preparing for her wedding ever since she was a little girl. And she could remember playing dress-up with her young friends, acting out the occasion. Of course, all the little girls wanted to play the bride, you know, with a pretty dress. But then there would have to be the unfortunate girl that was picked to dress up in the boys' clothes. It was always an old set of dads or older brother. And so the sleeves and the pants would just sort of, you know, drape to the floor. And they would pin up her hair. And then they would, they would tape a mustache to her upper lip there. And all the little girls would have a great laugh at the sight of that. But the picture-perfect wedding reenactment that they would do was a far cry from where she found herself now. She had found herself an honorable man, and even most of the wedding arrangements had already been made. But her fairy tale suddenly seemed so far off after the news that she had received. She was pregnant. Now, the thought of having a baby at her young age was frightening enough. But what she feared most of all was having to break the news to her fiancé. Because he was going to quickly realize that it wasn't his. Oh, can you imagine this girl, Mary, engaged to Joseph? And all the feelings and the worries that must have been swirling around in her mind after the angel appeared to her that day. We can find the words of the angel to Mary there in Luke chapter 1. So if you've been searching for it in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. Luke is the third book in. So you're going to go about three quarters of the way through your Bible. You're going to find the guy names. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Oftentimes we'll tell our kids it's the big one and the little 26. Or you can just simply follow along up on screen. It says this that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Oh, and what a great beginning to a great story. It's where Christmas begins. You see, it's not your typical Hallmark greeting of holiday peace and cheer. It starts with confusion. And Mary, being disturbed by God suddenly showing up because she assumed probably that it very well could be that God was altering some life plans here. And maybe it's here that we can already find ourselves in the Christmas story. 
Because we so often maybe want God's involvement in our life. But yet, when he actually interrupts our life's ambitions, it may be easy to be disturbed at the sudden shift of priorities. Whoa, 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 God. I thought that you were going to help me make all of my dreams come true, not just suddenly come in and, you know, blow them all up. And I can imagine Mary with some of these similar concerns. So you see, she's, she's going to need some reassuring. And so there in verse 30, it says, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give, you the, will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, for his kingdom will never end. Well, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Well, it certainly seems like good news. And in fact, even just a little bit later in verse 42, Mary is told this, that God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Now, if there's any wonder at how Mary must have initially felt about the situation. You know, I think it's very telling that she had to have been reassured. Oh, now don't take this the wrong way, Mary. You see, this is, this is actually good news. Maybe it's the same sentiment that you have each year during this season. Others try to convince you about how great this Christmas season is going to be. Oh, won't it be so great to, to put the Christmas tree up and spend hours upon hours untangling all those little lights trying to figure out which one it is that is making that strand only light up halfway. Or maybe a spouse says, oh, won't it be so great to pick out the perfect gift for our kids, you know, oh, uh, see the excitement on their face when they open that up. Perhaps maybe something extravagant, big, you know, like a bike. Where, of course, you're going to spend hours upon hours the night before trying to put that thing together. And you're finally going to get to the point, probably, where you're going to say, you know what, that is good enough, even though you got all these extra spare parts still laying there. <laughs> or maybe because of recent loss, or past history, you're not so sure that this really is a blessed time of year. It's a part of the Christmas story that we sometimes forget. We lose sight of because we normally try to focus on the beauty and the peacefulness of the season. We're always trying to create, you know, the, the perfect Christmas. But that first one was anything but. 
You know, from the time that Mary had just received that exciting news to the time that Jesus was born, she knew that she was supposedly blessed. But I'm not quite sure that she would have felt it. To be pregnant and unmarried was a social taboo, of course, in Mary's day. And she would have paid the price for it. Telling her fiancé such news would have resulted in a swift divorce as that engagement was just as binding as the marriage back, de- back then. And I'm not really sure how you tell a father, Dad, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. Oh, it's a God thing. <laughs> I'm not sure Dad's going to buy that story. And my guess is is that Mary would have avoided going out in public because people talk and people judge. It's amazing that God would choose to bring the greatest blessing the world would ever know in the way in which he did. I think that it even makes us consider if our own version of blessing is the same as God's. For in God's version of blessing, Jesus was born into scandal. Doesn't it seem odd for God to leave himself open to to such criticism that would have ensued from a pregnancy out of wedlock? Not to mention the fact that Mary would have seemed very ill-prepared for such an important responsibility. See, she was only about a 15-year-old girl at the time. And not only would people have assumed that she wasn't ready to be a mother, but also that she was undeserving of the honor. You remember that the angel greeted her by saying, Greetings, favored woman. But you see, there was really no obvious reason for the favor. It was just simply by God's grace and not her merit. I mean, if anybody were in charge of picking out the adoptive parents of Jesus, the Savior of the world, they they would have certainly quickly discarded Mary and Joseph in exchange for some better couples on that list. And consider also that Jesus was born into poverty. You would think that if you wanted the Savior to be well-recognized and accepted, you would be sure to choose some parents, you know, with some real power, some influence, of course, some money. But Mary and Joseph were none of these things. They were a young, uneducated couple from this irrelevant little village called Nazareth. They were lower class, and they lived in poverty. In Luke 2.24, it tells us that they went to present Jesus at the temple just eight days after his birth, and they gave the offering for their child, which was two turtle doves which was a provision made in the law for poor people who couldn't afford the standard sacrifice of a lamb. 
And then Jesus was also born into what I would consider confusion. Because, you know, a lot of the Christmas story didn't even really make much rational sense. You know, sometimes I like to imagine if I had been put in charge of Christmas. Oh, how spectacular it would have been. You see, I would have probably chosen to announce the greatest news that the world had ever known in spectacular, extravagant fashion. I I would have maybe announced it with some blaring trumpets. Or maybe, you know, if I had my way, I might even add a little parade to the extravaganza as well. Now, of course, you older folks, you recognize that I'm really kicking it old school here and going flannel board. (laughs) Because you've learned in Sunday school, of course, long ago, that this is the way that God actually meant for his stories to be shared, right? (laughs) And what's great nowadays is a lot of the younger people see this and think, wow, that's so innovative. How's that working? They're just staying there like that. They're going to go home and they're going to Google flannel board. Do it. It's great. It's magical. I would have started off with this grand celebration, trumpets, a parade. My guest list would have included the most popular, of course. You know, all the Taylor Swifts, maybe, of their time. And Jesus... Well, naturally, he would have been born in the castle. Because that's the only fitting place for royalty. And there would have been flags made and and flown so that everybody near and far would recognize that something really special had taken place. And I'm guessing that if anyone else were in charge of Christmas other than God, well, this would have been the version of the Christmas story that we would have told. But of course, rather than a castle, God instead chose a stable for the most appropriate place for his son to be born. It was a place for animals, cute little ones like that, And the smell in that stable certainly would have reminded everybody of that fact. And rather than announcing the coming king to the most influential people, instead, God chose to make his announcement in a desolate place, a field, to a group of shepherds. Now, shepherds were the lowest rung of society. I mean, if you were a criminal and you couldn't get work doing anything else, well, then you became a shepherd. And rather than making the baby announcement with blaring trumpets and a parade, the angels that appeared to the shepherds told them that you will recognize this baby by this sign that he will be wrapped in strips of cloth and he will be lying in a manger. It was the most unexpected way for a savior to be born. 
with the most humble beginnings that we can possibly imagine. And Mary, although she never really seemed to doubt the angel's news, had to have had a difficult time making sense of it all playing out like this. And so I bet that Mary had to have kept wondering, boy, I, I wonder when it is that God is finally going to get to the blessing. God, when are you finally going to redeem my reputation? When will you finally bring some honor to your son? When will you make life a little more comfortable? You know, turn around our financial situation. Because if God were to audibly assure us that we were going to be blessed, well, we'd probably make some assumptions based on that, right? And we'd probably all go out and buy a lottery ticket. We've all got some pretty good ideas of how God can best bless us. But the Advent season reminds us that God's greatest blessing of all is his son sent to be with us. Mary may have been confused and even disturbed at her situation, but she always seemed to have faith that God was with her and that even God was part and in the midst of all of this, the manger scene. And so I don't think her question would have ever been, man, where is God in all of this? But probably it was a little more likely, God, what are you up to here? In the midst of what may have felt like God's poor planning, I think chaos and confusion, Mary likely found peace in the other name that was given to Jesus by the angel that had appeared to Joseph. He said in Matthew 1.23 that they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that is a great reminder for us that despite all the turmoil that may go on around us, through Jesus, we can have a peace within us because he is with us. There was a king who once offered this grand prize for the artist who could paint the best picture of peace. And after much deliberation, it came down to just two pictures that the king would judge between. The first picture was of a calm lake, blue skies, majestic mountains that towered up above it. The water, you know, appeared like glass. I mean, it was soothing just to look at. The other picture was much different. The sky looked angry. Rain was pouring down. The mountains looked rugged and bare. And down the side of a mountain tumbled this foaming waterfall. It didn't look peaceful at all. But upon further inspection, the king noticed that behind the waterfall, 
was a small bush that had begun growing in the crack of a rock. And in that bush, a mother bird had built a nest. And so there in the midst of the rush of the angry water sat this mother bird on her nest at rest with her little chicks. And the king chose the second picture. Because he explained, peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all of those things and still be calm in your heart. It's the kind of peace that we're offered by Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to do another song. And I want to give you this verse in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May this Christmas season we experience the true peace of God. The band is going to play a song. It's called Prepare Him Room. And it's speaking of God coming in flesh by his son in order that we might be able to draw near to him. And I think of the song, it's a little bit of a contemplative song, I would say. And it's going to give us the opportunity to reflect upon how maybe we have prepared room in our own life or in our own heart. And so during the song, you're welcome to sit and just simply reflect upon the words, or you're welcome also to belt them out as they will be on screen. But spend some time during this song just simply pondering these things in our heart.
she is not a great person. From now on, all people of all times will say God has blessed me. He who has all power has done big work for me. His name is holy. He is kind to people of all times who respect him. He has shown how strong he is with his arm. He has taken away people who are proud in their hearts. He has moved big rulers from power, and those who are not great he has made great. He has given hungry people good things to eat, and sent away the rich people with nothing. He has helped his servant Israel. He has remembered to be kind, just as said to our fathers of long ago. He has promised to be kind to Abraham and his children's children's forever. Luke 1, 46 through 45. 50. And we see Mary's response of what God was doing with her and even with this child as one of faithfulness. She wasn't sure how it was going to work out or even how difficult it was going to be for her, but she had peace 
that God knew what he was doing. She even responded to the angel in Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now that is faithfulness. We tend to throw around the, faith, the word faith quite often. And I think that sometimes we can mistakenly confuse it for belief. But it's not quite the same because, of course, to simply believe is to acknowledge the existence of something. Now, kids, I want you to know that I would agree with most of you that I would acknowledge the existence of Bigfoot. We know he's out there, right? But yet, you see, that doesn't really affect the way that I live my life. James points out in James 2.19 even that the demons believe in God and they tremble in fear as a result. But that doesn't mean that they have a faith. Because faith alters our life as a result of the trust that we have placed in something. Or perhaps it's even someone. It's why you'll so often hear us talk about um, a relationship with God. It's because it's the only way through relationship with him that we come to develop this trust, more and more of it in God. In fact, Jesus in relationship with his disciples was always kind of fond of the phrase, O ye of little faith. And he wasn't trying to claim that they didn't believe in who he was, or, or maybe that they had no faith. You see, he was, it was his way of saying, I want you to learn to trust me even more, which is what we're able to do too when we take the little steps of faith that we can towards him. I can imagine there in Luke chapter 2, that with each small step that Joseph and Mary took towards Bethlehem, their faith would have been tested. The news that a census was going to be taken throughout the land and that everybody would have to make some travel arrangements back to their ancestral hometown could not have been welcome news to a nine-month pregnant lady. It meant a 90-mile trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem, one in which would likely take Mary about a week to walk, probably not too advisable by the doctors. And I wonder how many times on the journey Mary must have wondered to herself, God, is this really the plan you had in mind? Oh, but at least she had the destination to look forward to. It had to have been the only thing to keep a very pregnant woman sane on that kind of trip. The thought that surely God would reward them and set them up nicely once they got there. You know, when they got to the inn, finally, maybe a, a room upgrade, perhaps? You know, maybe God would just simply surprise them and blow them mind, their minds with something they hadn't even expected because sometimes God does that. 
But when they arrived, well, of course, the innkeeper uttered those now famous words that we hear in all the children's plays. Sorry, there's no room for you in the inn. Now, that had to have been a little bit of a tense moment, because, guys, you know how that went down. <laughs> you mean you didn't make any reservations? <laughs> and I wonder if they were tempted to play the, the savior card. Do you know who we are? You sure you want to make this mistake? And instead of their version of blessing. Well, they got the manger scene. And in our little manger that we may set out in the front yard, or maybe we have it up on the mantle, many of us. Oh, don't those little figurines look so peaceful? I'm pretty sure, though, that first Christmas, that traditional scene probably doesn't capture the, the true feelings that were present there. It's missing the, the smell of manure <laughs> and the stress and the confusion of what God was really doing. You see, he was giving his one and only son in the most humble of ways so that anyone and everyone might be able to have access to him as savior for he would later pay the price the sacrifice necessary for all of our sins on the cross. Their situation in the manger certainly didn't seem ideal, but yet there was peace. And not because all was calm, but because Mary had faith that God really was Emmanuel. That he was with them, and that he must have some kind of plan, which she finally, finally got a little bit of confirmation from when this odd group of shepherds suddenly showed up and said that these angels had appeared to them and told them that a savior had been born. In Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says that these shepherds, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. And then this next verse, just it just seems really weighty to me. Of the woman who had been given such an important responsibility been promised blessing and had already been through so much. It says in verse 19, but Mary kept all of these things in her heart and she thought about them often. The shepherds went back to the flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Listen, if you find yourself in need of some peace, struggling or nervous maybe to take those next, next little steps of faith that are before you, well, then I would say that the Christmas story is for you. It's for all of us. 
And during this time of Advent each year, we get to be reminded that we're able to have this relationship with Jesus so that he may be our Emmanuel. That he, God, is really with us. May you find yourselves at peace with him, drawing nearer to him, learning to trust him more and more in every confusing and chaotic situation that all of us may face. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you, God, just that you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, as we enter now into a time of worship, God, may we reflect upon the fact that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us. As we have even a cool time of doing a little activity of packing boxes and everything, God, may you allow us even to, in a small, maybe a very small step of faith, pack and pray for this box that a child or a teacher would receive. And that they too may catch maybe a little picture, maybe a little glimpse of the peace and the love that is in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we love you and we just simply give you this time of worship. Thank you for being our Emmanuel. In your name, amen.